I think every Jets fan knows that Woody Johnson is a problem right now for this team. But can he get better? Can the Jets win with it with an owner like this? We'll get into it today on Locked On Jets. You are Locked On Jets. Your daily New York Jets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome. This is the Locked On Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's Wednesday, February 14th, 2024. Happy Valentine's Day. I'm your host, John B. from gangreennation.com. Thanking you so much for making the show your first listen or first watch every day. Subscribe to the show for free on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts so you'll get new episodes as soon as they're posted. If you enjoy the show and are listening on a podcast source, please give it a five-star review. And if you're watching on YouTube and enjoy the show, give this episode a big thumbs up. It helps us out. Helps other Jets fans find the podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers get 150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 bet. That's 150 bucks if your bet wins. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get started. Well, on today's show, we're having our weekly mailbag. Each Wednesday, we try and do a mailbag with listener questions. Thanks so much to everybody who sent in questions. And a lot of questions were about the owner this week. Uh, Woody Johnson, of course, made headlines late last week with... Uh, public comments that were very difficult to believe and Jets fans are fired up about him. Our first question, John, since Woody Johnson has owned the Jets, we seem to be in a pretty terrible cycle. We hire a coach and GM, Woody forces a few moves, then goes to the media to brag about how good of a direction this franchise is moving. While the new uniforms, Robert Sala focusing on offense and Woody Johnson holding people accountable are all quote unquote franchise altering revelations. Do you think this team will ever be able to build a winning culture with Woody Johnson as the owner? Well, I think it can happen, but I think it's going to be a very difficult thing to happen unless Woody Johnson starts learning and unless Woody Johnson starts getting some humility. You know, you look across the NFL, a team that played in the Super Bowl Sunday, the San Francisco 49ers, they have an owner, Jed York. And if you look at what Jed York was doing like 2014, 2015, 2016, every bit as bad as Woody Johnson. Jed Jed York was uh, intervening in things he had no business intervening in. He was making horrible hires. He was overbearing, you know, he was arrogant and three years of losing kind of taught, taught Jed, Jed York some tough left lessons and he gained humility. And, you know, there, there are a couple of recent articles out about the 49ers hiring Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch all the way back in 2017. And they talked about how York realized he needed to change how he was doing things because, you know, he wasn't doing things the right way. Um, I think that, if you look across the league, there are plenty of examples of owners who came in and looked like they had no idea what they were doing at first and eventually learned. Um, in Cleveland, Jimmy Haslam, I mean, you look at his first couple of years, the Browns were probably a bigger mess than the Jets are right now. Now, Haslam's not a perfect owner, but he's at least started to flirt with competence at times. It seems like he's gotten better. It's At some point, the losing embarrasses you enough that you realize you have to change your ways. And this is, to me, is one of the frustrating things about Woody Johnson, that we're 13 years into the into this playoff drought if you listen to what woody had to say last week if you listen to what he said christmas eve when he announced robert Sala and joe douglas were coming back it's like he's learned nothing and at some point you know you hope he figures out that all of this influence he has that all of these decisions he's making that they're setting the team on a bad path i think as currently constructed at least with woody's current mindset it's going to be very difficult for the Jets to sustain any success. I mean, they could probably run into a 10-win season here or there, 
you know, next year with Rodgers back, they should be a team that's in the mix for the playoffs. I mean, the Jets were one of the few teams that weren't in the mix for the playoffs this year. If you, you look across the AFC with now seven playoff spots available, most teams are alive late into December. So the Jets should be, you know, in reasonable good, reasonably good shot, uh, shape to make the playoffs next year. Um, if they don't make it, they should at least have a pretty good shot and they should be playing competitive games late into the season. But over the long run, you know, it's almost like unless Woody changes his ways, the Jets are going to have to fall into something by accident where, you know, maybe they just hire a coach who happens to be the next hot guy and nobody realizes it. It's almost like it's going to have to happen by chance unless Woody changes his ways. And, you know, I'm an optimist about owners eventually figuring it out. I'm an optimist about things eventually evening out. I mean, I think to miss the playoffs 13 straight years, in addition to being bad, and the Jets have probably been as dysfunctional as any franchise in the league in the last 13 years, you also have to have a fair share of bad luck. You know, if Aaron, if Aaron Rodgers doesn't get injured this season, four plays into the season, uh, the Jets, you know, very well may have been a wild card team. So it's it's not completely impossible that the team, uh, you know, could can find success for a year or two. But if we're talking about the long term success that you need in most cases to win the Super Bowl, then I, I think it's going to be very elusive until Woody gets embarrassed enough that he realizes I don't know what I'm doing. And I think the more frustrating thing is, you know, some of the owners that I mentioned, those were guys who were relatively new in their tenures. You know, these were guys who were relatively new owners for Woody. Now we're closing in on 25 years. And it's not just that I feel like close to 25 years in that he doesn't know how to run a team. I don't get the impression he knows a lot about football. It just doesn't seem like he's really picked up a whole lot. I mean, I think if you sat him down, I think you know, if he came on this podcast and we talked about the X's and O's, I'm not sure he could give a great answer to a lot of questions. I, I don't think he's a guy who really studies the game all that much. And I think, you know, there's the old saying, the, the person who doesn't know what they don't know, that's Woody. You know, you, you if, if, I, if I know what I don't know, you know, if, I, if, I, if I'm like Woody Johnson, I realize I don't know a lot about football, then I'm not going to intervene on things because I realize all I'll do is mess things up. Woody Johnson thinks he knows football, but he doesn't know football. And it's part of the reason you've seen the Jets in such disarray in recent seasons. Uh, so, you know, hopefully it turns around and hopefully at some point Woody gains humility. I, I you know, I've seen, again, I, I can give you the list of owners who looked awful for a stretch. And the other thing is you do have to remember the Woody's first decade running the team, the Jets were reasonably successful. They were a pretty consistent playoff team. So, We've seen that the organization can at least have winning seasons. I, I do think that the organization under Woody can produce quality seasons, but can they achieve sustainable success? Well, you know, when I look at what happened last year, it, this time last year, it felt like the Jets were moving in the right direction. They had just drafted two rookies of the year. They had a great draft class. Felt like finally they were doing things the right way. And then Woody intervenes. And suddenly, you know, we've got Alan Lazard in here. We've got Randall Cobb in here. We've got uh, Nathaniel Hackett in here. You know, all these guys, because Woody wants Aaron Rodgers so bad that he'll just give, you know, he'll just bring in anybody who's a friend of Aaron Rodgers. And that's kind of a microcosm of the issues the Jets have faced under Woody Johnson's management. And again, I'm hoping that this gets better. I'm hoping that maybe this, uh, some, something changes because something has to change for this franchise. It, it is so frustrating right now. And I, I feel your frustration. Our next question, how many more skilled position starters do you think the Jets need for a much improved offense in 2024? The way I see it, Brees and Garrett are a great one and two, and Conklin can be a good fifth option. We just need a third or fourth option. Do they necessarily need to be receivers, or would a tight end like Bowers fit the bill? Well, you know, the position doesn't matter as much as just getting getting great players in here. 
Um, I, I think the Jets clearly need better supporting parts. I think you, you hit the nail on the head. They have a great one, too. I think Conklin's okay as like a, a secondary guy, but I, I think you're right. Probably two skill players. I don't like the idea of drafting Brock Bowers, though, in the top 10. And we'll get into this much more as the offseason progresses. The issue with, with drafting a tight end in the top 10 is there's an old phrase in the stock market, priced to perfection. Essentially, if you draft a tight end in the top 10, they have to be one of the top tight ends in the league or the pick is bad. And you can never guarantee a player you draft is going to be like a top three, top five player at his position. You, know, you want to be you know, at other positions, say like defensive end. That's a premium position. So a guy like Jermaine Johnson, who's a good player, who, you know, was a Pro Bowl alternate, but not one of the top five players at this position. He's still he's still a success in the first round. I know the Jets took him a little bit later than 10, but you know, you, at the wide receiver position, you don't need somebody who's going to be a top five player to be a success as a first round pick. At the tight end position, I feel like if you're not a top 10 player, it's very difficult to justify the pick. We'll get into that in much more detail over the course of the offseason because I have plenty more thoughts about the draft and Brock Bowers. And one of the thoughts, some of the thoughts I have about the draft are about the Jets draft strategy, trading down. I'm for it. I think it's a good idea. Not all of you feel the same way. We're going to talk about that as we continue on this Wednesday mailbag edition of Lockdown Jets. Our episode of Locked On Jets today is brought to you by FanDuel. Get your buckets with your first bet on FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Because right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 bet. Again, that's $150 if your bet wins. Of course, the NFL season is now over. The Kansas City Chiefs are Super Bowl champions for the second straight year. And unfortunately, the Jets missed the playoffs for the 13th straight year. But there's still plenty of action on FanDuel. NBA season's heating up. Uh, you know, the contenders are starting to reveal themselves, and there are also plenty of other sports where you can bet on FanDuel. Bet on all your favorite NBA players and teams with quick bets, live same-game parlays, exclusive props, and more. Just visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and shoot your shot. Again, it's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NBA. Thank you so much for making Lockdown Jets your first listen or first watch every day. Big shout out to Everydayers. This is a daily podcast covering the New York Jets. We have new episodes each day through the week, Monday through Friday, and then bonus episodes as needed as news dictates. We continue now with our weekly mailbag show. Our next question, if Joe Alt or Olu Fanashu are available, do we jump on it and avoid getting too fancy with a trade down? Because if we do that, we're likely to get Fuaga or Latham. The theory is that there, there are blue chippers available at an offensive tackle, and Aaron Rodgers can make it work with a third-round wide receiver. Uh, so the question really comes down to, should the Jets trade down if Joe Alter or Olu Fanashu is are there? Should they just you know not get too cute and take, take one of the premium tackles in this draft class? As always, it comes down to what they're offered. But I think when we talk about trading down, you know, you have there has to be something good for teams to trade up for. You know, I, I see all this talk about, well, if the Jets, and I've I'm probably guilty of it myself, but I see all this talk. Like if all the wide, of all the best receivers and tackles are off the board, the Jets should trade down. Well, who's going to want to trade up in that situation? You know, part of the reason the team would trade up is that one of the blue chip uh, players is available. So yeah, if none of the players the Jets want are of all the players the Jets want are gone. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously they should look to trade down, but does that mean that who, who, who is the other team going to trade up for? I think that's part of the question. You have to give something to get something. And I, I think back to a study that was done about 10 years ago. There was an academic study about trading down in the draft. And what it mentioned is that at any given position, the first player drafted has only a 55% chance of being better, of having a better career than the third player drafted at that position. So we look at this and we act like it's set in stone that Joe Wall is going to be the best tackle. And I think he, there has to be a balance because you have to 
evaluate these guys. You know, you're not just throwing darts at the board, picking these guys. You do have to rank these guys. But you also have to consider the possibility that maybe I'm wrong because the draft is a very inexact science. I mean, Mitchell Trubisky was drafted before Patrick Mahomes. It's a good example. Garyon Conley was drafted before Tredavious White. Jerry Judy was drafted before C.D. Lamb and Justin Jefferson. You know, the NFL in general is pretty good about figuring out the best players in the in the draft class, but they're not great. They're not always great at ranking who the true blue chip players are. They may say this guy's really good. He's a first round pick, but among the first round picks, they're not always great at ranking them. Now, again, the odds of the top pick at, at a position, a top player at a position being better than the third player drafted at a position is 55%. You know, 55% means it's a little bit better than a coin flip. So you'd rather have the top player at a position than the third player at a position. 55% versus 45%. But the benefit from trading down is you tend to get extra picks. And when we're talking about trading down in the first round, you tend to get extra picks on day two. So you'd rather have a 55% chance than a 45% chance. But if you're also including with the 45% chance, an extra couple, an extra pick on day two or so, odds are you're better, odds are you're going to get more value out of the trade down. Because first of all, you still have a 45% chance of getting the better player when you trade down. But also you add these extra picks, which are very valuable. And when we talk about the teams that draft well, they tend to nail the day, the second and third rounds. So th those are the spots in the draft where there's still great players available. But when you when you pick them, you don't really have to pay them that much. Though, even in the first round, first round players, if they hit their discount financially, but first round contracts are still a couple million dollars a year for the most part. You draft somebody and nail nail the pick in the second or third round, you're paying them practically nothing. You know, you're paying them not quite the minimum wage, but close to the minimum wage in the NFL. So lots of different considerations here. You know, we, we look at this and we act like it's set in stone that Alton Fashanu are going to be the two best tackles and Fuaga and Latham are not. But it's all entirely possible Fulago or Latham ends up being the best tackle in this class. If you know, we don't know this now. If you know, looking back, you can say you 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 know who the best tackles were. But look how frequently in the past those prognostications have been wrong. So I think I think that teams when they draft, they don't show enough humility. They don't figure. They don't think through like what if we're wrong on this? Because the difference between a first grade, a first round grade, and a sixth round grade on players is pretty big. But a first round grade where I have the guy, this guy's about the best at the position versus the third best at the position. You know, there's a lot, of, there's a lot of potential for error there. So I, it depends on what the Jets are offered. I, you know, last year, the Jets, of course, famously traded down from 13 to 15 and probably, probably lost out on Broderick Jones as a result, who, which who was a tackle who, you know, we don't know how his career is going to turn out. But if you look back on that, through one year, you probably, if you could have done that over, you'd probably want Broderick Jones because he was better than any tackle the Jets had playing this season. The Jets traded from 13 to 15 for Aaron Rodgers. Now, that was a mistake because the Jets got nothing out of it. You know, part of the benefit of the trade down is you get extra picks later on, typically. When the Jets traded from 13 to 15, you could say they got Aaron Rodgers, but I don't think that deal would have fallen apart if the Jets had put their, put, drawn a line in the sand and said, Green Bay, we are not trading 13 for 15. You know, that was a bad move because the Jets got nothing in return for the risk of trading down. And they ended up kind of losing out on Broderick Jones. At least that's how it looks right now. But the extra picks you get in the trade down, they're part of what makes the value so great because you get an extra chance. And especially for a team without a second round pick this year, a second round pick could be pretty valuable, a pretty valuable addition for the New York Jets. Next question. How would you rank Rodgers among AFC quarterbacks ahead of 2024? 
I think Mahomes, Burrow, Allen are ahead of him because of their youth and talent. What about Herbert with Harbaugh? So I thought this through. And what I did was I listed every quarterback in the AFC. And I'm not, you know, I didn't do a comprehensive ranking, but essentially I looked through every quarterback and I said, all right, here's how, here's how, here's how I'll do this. If I look at that guy and I immediately say without thinking, yes, I take him over Aaron Rodgers in 2024, then, then it's that. If not, if I have to think about it, then I'm not going to take him over Aaron Rodgers. And then there, there are some situations. I mean, I'd obviously rather have the Jets, uh, Rodgers than Pittsburgh situation. There's, there are teams that just have a mess at the quarterback position where you, you say, no matter what, yes, I'm taking Rodgers over that. Raiders are another right now. So here are the guys I looked at. And if I'm just assuming I'm getting them for 2024, no cap ramifications, nothing beyond 2024. The guys I immediately said, yes, without a doubt, I take over Aaron Rodgers this season in the AFC were and Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Lamar Jackson, CJ Stroud, and Justin Herbert. So those are the guys. I, I think that those are the guys where I, I look at it and I say, there's no doubt I would rather have those quarterbacks than, uh, than Aaron Rodgers next season. Now, a prime Aaron Rodgers would be a different story, but I'm also factoring in that there's a lot of unknown about Aaron Rodgers. We don't know how good Aaron Rodgers is going to be. Aaron Rodgers could be very good next season, or he could show a lot of decline. You know, this is a quarterback who, one of the greats who's ever played, really been injured the last two seasons, could bounce back, could be the comeback player of the year, could play at a very high level, or he could be a guy who's, you know, 40 coming off a serious injury. He could be a guy who's in a bit of decline. There's a there's a wide variety of potential outcomes for Aaron Rodgers next season. So those are the guys that I think, you know, if you offer them to me today, there's no question I'd take them. Again, Mahomes, Burrow, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, CJ Stroud, uh, Justin Herbert. You know, th those are the guys where where there's just no doubt about it. There are some guys where you you know you, I could go either way, uh, but there's enough with Rod. There's enough hope with, with Rogers that maybe he'll be better than some of the other guys. So those those are my choices right now. They'd be interested to hear what you have to say. Now, head you on the Lockdown Jets podcast. We'll turn our attention back to Woody Johnson because Woody Johnson obviously is the topic of the week. How big of a say should he have? in the team's football decisions. How big of a say do, do owners typically have in football decisions? We'll talk about that continuing this Wednesday edition of Locked On Jets. Today's episode of Locked On Jets is brought to you by eBay Motors. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. And eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. And with over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. And with all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. eBay Guaranteed Fit only available to U.S. customers. This is the Lockdown Jets podcast on this Wednesday. We're doing our weekly mailbag show. Our next question, is it, is it standard practice for owners to sign off on major moves for an NFL franchise, like who to take with an early first-round pick or whether to trade or extend a star player? A recent Athletic article about the Jets had a quote saying the Jets coaches needed Woody to sign off on sitting veterans in favor of younger players. Am I wrong to find this to be a deeply disturbing description of how the Jets make personnel decisions? Should this have gotten more attention from the media? I'm on the same page with you. I mean, that athletic article, we focused on Robert Sala and most of it was about Sala, but there were a couple of really troubling nuggets about Woody Johnson in that one. And that was one of them. Another one was Woody Johnson apparently taking social media fan criticism to the coaching staff. 
Now, look, I'm not a big fan of the Jets coaching staff, but I trust them to fix what the problems with the team more than I would the fans on social media. You know, that's not that's really troubling to me. Uh, how much sway do owners typically have in a franchise? You know, it depends on the team. There are some owners who are very active. There are some owners who are not active. And I think to an extent, each team has to find the, the fit that's right for them. You know, and Cincinnati, Mike Brown grew up around the team. His father was the legendary coach, Paul Brown. Uh, Mike Brown's very involved. Um, we all know Jerry Jones is very involved in Dallas. Um, John Mara is not as uh, openly public about his involvement, but John Mara is there very much there on a day-to-day basis with the Giants. Clark Hunt in Kansas City is very active there. Uh, it depends on the team. When I've, I think it's impossible to completely separate the owner from big decisions. It doesn't mean the owner's the one who's ultimately coming up with the idea, but I think any major decision your franchise makes for the most part, an owner's going to sign off on it. You know, when we're talking about giving the quarterback a big extension, when we're talking about whether or not the quarter, you know, a situation like Aaron Rodgers this year, where the Jets were talking about putting him back in the lineup, the owner would sign off on that. But I think what the great owners do is they kind of know when to intervene and when not to intervene. They kind of know when to push for something, when not to, and they know the right questions to ask. Um, An example of this would be the late Steelers owner, Dan Rooney. Um, in 2004, there was a story that came out. This is the year the Steelers drafted Ben Roethlisberger, and there was some discussion in their war room, and I'm paraphrasing a bit here. But there were people in the Steelers organization who did not want to take Ben Roethlisberger. And there was a story that Dan Rooney essentially went to them, and he talked about 21 years earlier when the Steelers had passed on Dan Marino and how they always regretted it. Um, and the Steelers, of course, ended up taking Ben Roethlisberger. Now, we don't know how how heavy of a hand Dan Rooney had on that decision, but it's a good example of like, I think like a good owner just kind of keeps the trains on track. He kind of makes sure that the, that the team, that everybody's thinking big decisions through, you know, I don't think you want an owner who's, you know, second guessing the scouting staff in the fifth round of the draft, but you want an owner who's making, who makes sure, you know, when you right before the franchise is about to make a big decision, have we thought everything through? Are we doing all the right things? Can we live with this? If this decision doesn't work out and Unfortunately, with the Jets, and this is, I think, one of the bigger problems with Woody, is I don't think we could trust Woody to make the right decisions right now. And I think, when, as I mentioned, there are some teams where the owner's extremely involved, like the Bengals or the, the Cowboys, where the owner, you know, you, you see him front and center on everything. Then there are the teams where, you know, the owner may have less of a sway. And those tend to be like the smarter owners for the new franchises. You know, Dave Tepper in Carolina, he's a guy who's very involved and has no idea what he's doing right now. Maybe Dave Tepper will learn. There were there was a lot of optimism around Tepper as being a potentially good owner. So maybe he'll learn from the disaster he's left that franchise in. But there's some teams that are better off with the owner having less say. And until Woody Johnson learns more about running an organization, the Jets are far better off having uh, having him as hands off as possible. I mean, I don't know how you avoid having you know bringing bringing in the owner on something critical like a first round pick. I'm not saying the owner's the one making the choice. And I'm sure with Woody, it's just kind of like Douglas is saying, this is the guy we're picking and Woody's like going to be going to be like, OK, but you, you're absolutely right to mention that article because it really left me troubled because it, it almost left me with the view that Woody's more involved in the, the, the day to day stuff than we realize. And, you know, it's one thing if you have a go owner who's been around the team their whole life, you know, Clark Hunt in Kansas City, a great example. You know, his father founded the, the franchise back when it was in Dallas in the AFL. So Clark Hunt grew, grew up around the NFL. And Clark Hunt's been around managing a team his entire life. So I think if you go to Clark Hunt with something like this, he'll get it. 
you know, he knows enough about football to that his coaching staff, you know, his coaching staff can go to him and he can offer some insight. He probably can actually offer coaching staff something worthwhile to think about. I don't think Woody Johnson offers you a thing to, worthwhile to think about. And that that article, you know, the, the, the two points were the one that were raised that they had to get Woody to sign off on playing the younger players. But the one that drove me crazy was the idea that Woody's like taking social media criticism to the coaching staff, because the last thing you want to do as an NFL franchise is react to the most reactionary fans out there. Do, do what the most reactionary fans out there. I, hey, I think I have some pretty good points on this show from time to time, but I don't think, I don't think the Jets should run their franchise based on things I say. I, I would like to think that the people there are smart enough and experienced enough to run it, to build a successful franchise using their own insights. Now, whether they are or not, it's another question, but I, I hate the idea of how the, that that article portrayed Woody is more involved than I even imagined, and that left me troubled. Anyway, that's all for today's episode. This has been the Lockdown Jets podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. Your team every day is our motto. As always, if you enjoyed the show, hit the subscribe button where you're watching or listening so that you'll never miss an episode. If you enjoy the show and are listening on a podcast, let's give it a five-star review. And if you're watching on YouTube and enjoy the show, give this episode a big thumbs up. It helps us out. It helps other Jets fans find the podcast. Have a great Wednesday, everybody. We'll be back tomorrow to talk more Jets.